0: Welcome to Brazilian Politics, the podcast where three political analysts talk about all things Brazilian politics. This week, we will discuss pension reform, the Petrobras pricing policy, and the freedom of speech controversy involving the federal Supreme Court. This podcast is brought to you by Arco Advice, Brazil's leading political risk and public affairs company. With over three decades of experience in Brasilia and offices in the United States, Arco can help your company navigate the complex political landscape in Brazil. Visit ArcoBrazil.com. That's A-R-K-O Brazil.com. Welcome to Brazilian Politics. I'm Michael Lopez, and I'm joined by my colleagues Lucas and Thiago Aragão. Thank you for joining us once again, guys. Hello, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here, Michael and Thiago. All right, so this has been a very busy week, and uh, it's still Tuesday. Uh, But I would like to begin uh, this discussion with something that's a, a priority for this government, with pension reform. Um, There were discussions about whether the Constitution and Justice uh, Committee in the lower house would prioritize the vote on the compulsory spending amendment over pension reform, something that doesn't really seem aligned with this government's uh, public priorities. One of the main leaders of the Centrão, Aguinaldo Ribeiro, was chosen as the rapporteur of this compulsory spending amendment, So my question to you is, does the government really have a handle on pension reform or is the idea that it could be approved in the lower house before the mid-year July recess becoming increasingly and unrealistically optimistic? Michael, there's
1: still time, but it's definitely a very tight schedule. The government is losing some battles uh, in which they would not lose if they had a more tight and organized political uh, articulation. I remember mentioning here a while back, maybe an episode or two ago, that the ceasefire between the executive and the legislative was a, was good news for the approval of the go- of the government's agenda in Congress. But it wasn't enough. I even made a, a, a chronological uh, line between what was happening between the relationship of the two branches, saying that we first had a moment of war between the executive and the legislative, but just because this war was solved, or at least were in the ceasefire, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, the the uh, a good negotiation or a good relationship. The ceasefire is one thing. The good relationship between the both branches is not yet happening, as we've seen in the Constitution and Justice Committee. I think today the government noticed uh, that uh, just social media and pressure and a good narrative and a good communication is not enough. They weren't able to to advance in the way that they wanted the pension reform in the Constitution and Justice Committee. And this is bringing some anxiety to the market.
2: I agree with what Lucas is saying. Uh, there is a, the, the government can't rely solely on the merit of the proposal of the pension reform for it to approve. There are several layers that must be discussed and negotiated. Uh, just for for our listener to have an idea, there are basically ten steps that the government has to guide the parliament in order for the the, the pension reform to be approved. First is the approval of the re, of the uh, report at the committee of constitution and justice, where the debate is happening this week. Uh, after that, we have the publication of this report, uh, the creation of the special committee to debate. Uh, the, the report and, and, and to open a dialogue in relation to, to the pension reform itself uh, forty eight hours after the, the the creation of the committee, of the special committee for the leaders of the parties to indicate who the, which members of their party will participate in the committee and then the installment, the beginning of this special committee. After that, there will be at least 10 sessions for the rapporteur to present his final report of everything debated uh, within this special committee. Uh, after that, the, the report will be presented by the rapporteur, and then a negotiation also will go on and on uh, whether certain other congressmen will do their personal remarks or, or contradict or challenge some contents of this report. Um, after that, there will be the voting of the report at the special committee, then the first voting at the floor of the house, and then the second and final voting at the floor of the house as well. so ten steps that, given the time frame that the government has uh it's tough, and perhaps August or September and guys, this is my opinion. I want to hear yours. Uh, I see this the approval in the House of Representatives perhaps around. August or September.
0: Thank you, Thiago. This week, uh, for our Brazilian politics uh, weekly report at Arco Advice, we interviewed Representative Wellington Roberto, who is the leader of the PR in the lower house. And when asked about approval of pension reform in the Constitution and Justice Committee this week, he said that it would be difficult. And he also added that in his view, the government's coalition uh, doesn't really exist. It's reduced to only one party, which is Bolsonaro's PSL. And on the issue of the 100 days of Bolsonaro's administration, he was very critical, saying that the government has done nothing, the budget is all tied up, and the needs of states and municipalities are not being considered. So my question to you is, is this feeling... Are, are these views representative of the centrão as a whole of the majority in Congress?
1: I think there's a little bit of exaggeration. I don't. I don't feel. Uh, I think, for instance, the votes are there for the Constitution and Justice Committee. They, they will approve the, the the pension reform in the Constitution and Justice Committee. There's no question about that. For instance, tomorrow, uh, the big question if there if if there will be quorum uh, enough congressmen in the Constitution and Justice Committee to vote the uh, the, the report by the reporter. Remembering that Friday in Brazil is a holiday. We have Easter here, as uh, in, in other countries. So uh, there is a problem of, of the number of congressmen that will be available to vote tomorrow, since they all want to go back to their constituents. Uh, I think that the, the pension reform is different from the coalition of the government. Obviously, the government needs to work harder in the coalition, but I feel that the coalition for the pension reform goes much uh, deeper than a simple coalition of the government. An example is that in the height of the war between Rodrigo Maia, Bolsonaro, and his sons, uh, 12 leaders of the Centrão signed a document in favor of the pension reform against only two parts of the pension reform, the BPC, uh, a, a small contribution to those in, in bigger need, and the the question of the rural workers. so I think the pension reform has a, a good starting number of votes the, the The coalition doesn't, but the pension reform is seen today as a, a, a something above the government. The thing is, how quickly it will be approved makes the market anxious and tense. Uh, and I agree with Chago. maybe a more realistic approach for its approval is somewhere around august. I wouldn't push it that much to september but maybe a little bit after the recess for the final vote in the in the floor of the house.
2: Absolutely. And and also I don't see that there's a chance of of defeat. Uh, what we have to see is that defeat is delay. Uh the de- de- defeat is postponing. Defeat is it never happening, not necessarily the government being uh, challenged and and losing in the in, in a floor or, or or in or in the committee, for example. Uh,
0: thank you, Chago. I agree with both of those points. I think that the meetings that were held between Bolsonaro and the party presidents um, align very well with what Lucas said. Given that the presidents of the parties, when leaving the meeting, they said that the the support for pension reform is is secure. But uh, participation in a, in a formal governing coalition, um, they, they weren't there yet. Um, and then I would just add on the issue of, of delay being defeat. I will also add that uh, uh, too much of, if too much is removed from the pension reform proposal uh, and, and the, the savings that are predicted for the next 10 years uh, get to a level where the market is unhappy, um, that could also be a problem. But um, moving back to the broader issue of this administration, as we discussed in last week's episode, um, we have the 100 days of the Bolsonaro administration. So I just wanted to circle back to this very quickly um, because it's an important milestone and one that the administration used to announce uh, several new positive measures. There's the end of year bonus for Bolsa Familia recipients autonomy of the central bank, the establishment of a national energy policy council, a national drug policy, a national literary policy or or literacy uh policy and uh, a committee to combat corruption among others so since we've already discussed this at length and to avoid uh, beating a dead horse i have a simple but short question in in your uh, opinions what is the main lesson the government learned in this early period and how can they improve
1: i think the main lesson michael is the realism of brazilian politics the real politics of the national congress on how Uh, uh, different it is to be opposition and how different it is to be government. There is a famous quote here in Brazil, here in Brasilia, that's in a free translation, says something like, if you're government, you have to focus on the votes. If you're the opposition, you can focus on the theatrics. I think that in the last couple of weeks, we've seen, even in the CCJ, in the Constitution and Justice Committee, a lot of members of the PSL and, and, and the Novo Party the the liberal young party from Sao Paulo using a lot of their time, the time that they have the right to use in the Constitution and Justice Committee to defend their ideas, to praise the pension reform and to say how it attacks privileges and so on and so forth. This is great. But the thing is, when they use their time, they are delaying the process of the vote. And they have just noticed this in the last couple of hours, in the last couple of days. And they stopped using their free time to, to defend the pension reform because... It's not time to go into the merit anymore, specifically on a such a such a small a committee like the Constitution and Justice Committee, with with little uh, spotlight to the population. So they're not using their time in order to allow the the, the vote to, to to go quicker. So I think it the the main lesson is the real politics in Brasilia and the fact that they need three hundred and eight votes. They don't need beautiful quotes. They don't need. Uh, videos, this all helps in certain points. But when the time comes to vote in the Constitution and Justice Committee, in the special committee and in the floor, everyone is anxious for the votes and they have to do everything they can to get the votes to their
2: side. I would also add that one of the main lessons that the government is learning is that success in the social medias doesn't necessarily translate to success in real life. But not only than that, uh, uh, that the government is also learning some terminologies. Uh, the negotiation, for example, is not a bad word. Articulation doesn't mean corruption. The equilibrium of powers in which the Speaker of the House and the President of the Judiciary, they talk eye-to-eye uh, eye with the President of the country. Uh, allied base not necessarily represent a bunch of Full-fledged allies, Uh, in many cases, the problems begins with the allies and not with the opposition. Uh, Procedures, understanding the procedure of how things are approved um, forces you to develop a strategy around how you're going to approve things. So I think these are all terminologies that the government is learning, uh, that the government is already learning under a very, very difficult task, which is the approval of the pension reform. But the urgency of the matter also requires an urgency uh, for the understanding uh, of how those things work.
1: I think that another lesson that has been learned is the Bolsonaro is a, a character with a lot of, of of zingers, you know, with a lot of, of of catchphrases, a lot of strong promises, and that's what earned him the presidency. He had the zingers for security, for corruption, uh, for for the economy with Paulo Guedes. And while he was a candidate, he could use these promises and these zingers freely because there was no real or immediate impact in the decision-making process in Brasilia. But recently, I think he has learned that what he says has a deep impact in the country. One example is, for instance, Jerusalem uh, being the embassy of Brazil in Israel. He said this openly during the campaign, and there was no major impact. But when he brought this to the table as a president... Quickly, the agribusiness sector who exports and exports a lot with a lot of profit to the Arab countries quickly uh, use their power to hinder this promise of his, which he I don't think he will fulfill uh, anytime soon. The Petrobras issue that we've seen and we're going to discuss uh, right now is another uh, lesson that the words of a president are much more powerful and much deeper than the words of a candidate.
0: Thank you, Lucas. Uh, Those are are very important lessons. And thank you for the great segue into our next segment, which is uh, this issue of Petrobras. So this Monday, the government held an an inter-cabinet meeting in the chief of staff's office to deal with the fuel pricing policy for Petrobras. Uh, Bolsonaro also met with the president of Petrobras, Roberto Castelo Branco today, along with other Petrobras representatives. And the issue is that last week Petrobras suspended a planned five point seven percent increase in the price of diesel following a personal phone call from Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro, uh, when asked about this phone call to Petrobras, he owned up to it, saying that while he doesn't want to be interventionist, uh, he was surprised by the 5.7% increase to fuel, which would uh, eventually be transferred over to Brazilian consumers. Um, and this this uh, surprise with the increase and saying that he won't be interventionist, it, it, there, there seems to be a bit of a contradiction there. Uh, And in the aftermath of of the decision of the phone call, uh, Petrobras lost a reported 32 billion reais um, in market value. So I think we have to look back to the the trucker strike under Michel Tamer and ask ourselves, is this government being held hostage by the truckers' uh, sector after what happened in the Temer administration? And if so, what can they do about it besides direct interference in Petrobras' pricing policy, obviously?
2: Michael, um, when, we, when a government is confronted with a power play that most of the time through made by unions or by organizations like the truckers of threatening a, a, a strike and not only a simple strike, but a strike that can actually literally paralyze the country, uh, the government usually shows strength before showing the will to negotiate and accept part partially uh, or minimally the demands of the other side. At this particular case, although the narrative of the government can be used as uh, preventing another strike, and this is absolutely true, the decision of Bolsonaro to intervene in the price of the diesel prevented in the short-term a strike, but also created a situation that as a, as a game of poker, the government uh, showed the cards to the opposition. The, the, strike, the, the truckers, they know now exactly uh, how to extract their demands from the government with five minutes of game. And there is still four years of presidency to go ahead of us. And in their first attempt, they got what they wanted. So right now, it's going to be very hard for you to deal, for a government to deal with other sectors of the society that threatens through strikes uh, for the government to be able to negotiate because a certain standard was developed in this particular approach towards the truckers. They understand now what takes the government. They understand that they have a powerful weapon in their hands, which is the strike. And that any time that they feel, or even more worrying, any time that Petrobras needs to readjust the price of fuel based on a very complex conjecture, they will have this trump card to, to use and to perhaps put the government against the wall. Well, I think the, the, the two key points that I want to to
1: mention regarding the what happened in this incident is, first of all, Petrobras is a state-owned company in a unionized country, in a country that has a, a population that deeply distrusts its political system, that deeply distrusts the quality of the public services, uh, and overpays for its uh, gas prices, especially because of the taxes that are put into the, the, the prices of the fuel. So, f- first of all, um, Petrobras will never be a PDVSA. It will never go back, at least for now, uh, to the times of Graça Foster and Dilma, where it served the purpose of a corrupt political oligarchy uh, and, and, and populism. Nor it will be uh, a completely free company like The private companies around the world, Exxon, uh, Chevron, uh, even the state-owned Norwegian company, formerly known as Statoil. I forgot their their new name. Um, So the the, the market has to have patience to understand these movements. I'm not saying that I'm in favor of the intervention. I am not. I think Petrobras needs to move freely as any, any company that has minority investors in the stock exchange. However, it's naive for the market to not understand or at least not see the possibility of these interventions. They will happen. This is something that uh, will happen. The, 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 the calculus that the, the calculation that the market has to do if, is if this uh, interventions are something constant, as if it was on Dilma, or something that will be uh, every once in a while, as it was in other times. Of of our history, and an example is today. Petrobras went up five percent. If someone had the, the if the investors had the patience to, to to see that this would eventually have some kind of of of, of liberal solution, they would have won five percent of their portfolio in, in 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 days. So what I'm saying is, Petrobras is a risky asset if you are investing super long term because it's a state owned company, but the volatility. Of a country that is uh, completely frozen in the paradox of a liberal economic agenda, but at the same time a uh, somewhat populist and um, uh, hostage country to these things as Chago said, has an immense opportunity to make money out of it and the second point regarding what Chago said of, of the of Brazil being hostage to the truck drivers, this is uh, something created by Brazil uh, again. Brazil is a master of creating its own crisis. We invest um, very little in infrastructure. We completely abandon railways. We completely forgot about projects that could uh, diverse the the transportation in Brazil. We are completely hostage to the truck drivers, and this is something that they know and they will use against this government. So overall, I think that the Petrobras situation is that we're still going to have a somewhat free Uh, uh, in terms of authority to make their own decisions of Petrobras, but with every once in a while some intervention which will freak out the market. Those that are able to have patience in these moments have a lot to gain.
0: Thanks, guys. I I agree with uh, a lot of the points that both of you uh, just made. And I also just wanted to add a, a point of my own, which is that this government is also exploring alternative, more strategic ways of negotiating with the, with the truckers. So in the aftermath of the, the market's reaction to this Bolsonaro phone call to, to suspend the price increase uh, for fuel in Brazil, the government announced a, a credit line financed by the national uh, economic and Social Development Bank, Bendeci, aimed at autonomous truckers. So it's a sign that the government uh, is aware of the of the repercussions of its decisions at now in a very real way and not just a, in a hypothetical way. And uh, it's a good sign that they're looking to alternative instruments in negotiating with this sector. Um, I wanted to move into our final segment of this podcast. Um, uh Incredibly, the Petrobras issue is not the the hottest issue uh, of this week. Um, the hottest issue right now is related to freedom of speech and the federal Supreme Court. So uh, here we have uh, the car wash investigation, this this historic anti-corruption probe, which seems never ending at this point, And it's continuing to influence uh, the path of, of Brazilian politics in a very real way. Um, well- Last week, we already had two stories, uh, that, that stem from the, the car wash from the Lava Jato that got Brasilia all riled up. There was a supposed plea bargain deal stating that, uh, the Speaker of the lower house, Rodrigo Maia, and his father, who was a former mayor of Rio, received undeclared donations from Odebrecht. And, and this was interesting because some saw it as a, a strategic leak to weaken Rodrigo Maia and pension reform during these negotiations. Um, others saw it as a possible deliberate move by the car wash investigation itself to alert Maya about being more cooperative with Sergio Moro's anti-crime proposals in Congress. Um, and, and, we can circle back to that. But the other story concerns Odebrecht and, uh, the president of the federal Supreme Court, Giustofoli. Um, Toffoli and Supreme Court Justice Alexandre Moraes, um, uh, uh, following uh, uh, some stories that were presented in some insider political website slash magazine in Brasilia, um, mentioning uh, a plea bargain deal where the president of the federal Supreme Court would be directly involved in uh, some sort of corruption scheme. Uh, the court made things a hundred times worse and, and more controversial ...by decreeing that the story on this relationship had to be removed from the website um, with a a daily penalty of 100,000 highs. So the issue went from allegations of supposed corruption to a a nationally galvanizing matter of free speech and censorship. Um, So I'd like to ask you to, to contextualize this situation for our listeners... On what exactly happened and the impact that this is having on Brazilian politics in general?
1: Michael, I think to to begin, we are Lava Jato is historical, it's praised by society, it had many outcomes in terms of even practical terms in legislation, uh, prohibiting donation from companies to campaigns, uh, and, 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 and and other practical consequences as well. The thing is the public prosecutors. Uh, and, and this for our listener to know, in the 90s, they were a weakened uh, institution. They were not well seen by society. They 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 had many problems uh, in public opinion. And even they were seen as uh, a, a point uh, where corruption would always end, where corruption would always receive uh, a place in a drawer and never to be heard of again again. Uh, This has changed with the activism of of the Lava Jato, of the car wash operation, which has been worked very closely with the public prosecutors, a joint effort from the federal police and and the public prosecutors, which has to be also praised the PT administration for giving autonomy to the federal police, budget increases to the federal police, and even some laws that were approved under Dilma. Paradoxically, under Dilma, it was approved the plea deal law, which regulated plea deals in Brazil, and, and 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 were the backbone of the revelations created by the the car wash. The thing is, the car wash has grown to a point where they have received so much praise by society, and they have seen as something uh, so pure by society that he, this has created some uh, fairly uh, messianic uh, characters in the in the judicial world. And since Brazil is a a country that loves to, to 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 discuss the outcome but not the process, and the process is sometimes lost in translation because of the technicalities of the of the legal world. This has created this judicial activism in Brazil, where sometimes they go and and, and surpass uh, the the procedural uh, aspects of what is expected from the constitutional law. So I think we're living in a in a moment where everyone has to deep. To, to, to breathe very deeply and 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 see what is going on, this episode of the Supreme Court is something that, in my opinion, for the first time we saw or one of the first times in the in, in this whole uh, situation, the entire country p- coming together to to say how weird it was or how dangerous it was for the Supreme Court to do such a measure. You had the bar association, the press people from multiple parties criticizing the decision of, of, of Alexandre de Moraes and Gia in the Supreme Court. So definitely uh, something that, that has to be explained extremely well for, uh, further on because it has created dangerous precedent uh,
0: in this country. All right. Thank you for that, Lucas. I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of opportunity to get back to this issue as it's a, a developing story. Um, I wanted to thank uh, Lucas and Thiago for taking part in this podcast and uh, thank our listeners for tuning in. I'd like to invite you to tune back in next week for more on Brazilian politics. Thank you very much.